Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 5. Mark was 10 years old and he loved to ride his bike. And as he rode his bike, he would see pop cans sometimes. And so he would pick up pop cans, collect them in a bag, kind of hold on to them. And then when he had enough of them, he'd bring them to the store and get some money for them. Well, one day he was riding his bike and he saw a car parked in an empty lot. And as he looked, he saw there were people in the car and they were just sitting in there. So he just kept looking for pop cans, but kept kind of looking at the car kind of wondering what that was about. The next day, as he was riding his bike, the car was still parked there, and the people were still there. And all of a sudden, it dawned on Mark, I wonder if that's a homeless family. They maybe don't have enough money to rent a house, and so they're living inside their car, because that's all they have. And so he thought about that. He went home and told his parents about it. And they said, they're probably just a family moving through the, you know, just kind of leave them alone. But Mark couldn't stop thinking about that family. And so he gathered his pop cans and he brought them to the store. He got some money and he bought some milk. He put it in the refrigerator. And then on Sunday morning before church, he said to his dad, can we stop by that parking lot and see if those people are there? I want to give this milk to those kids. So his dad said, sure, we can do that. Leave a little early for church. So sure, they stopped in that parking lot. They were still there. The mom and dad said to Mark, we normally don't take things from strangers, but thank you. Our kids haven't had milk in over a week, so we'll gladly take it. And the kids came out of the car and they poured some milk for those kids and they were just very happy with that. And Mark was happy too. And then they went to church and they told their church about that family. And the people at church were concerned for that family, too. And together, they kind of helped find a job for the dad in that family. And together, they kind of helped find a house that that family could rent so they didn't have to live in their car. And then soon enough, that family all came to know and love Jesus. All because of a 10-year-old boy who had a lot of faith, and a lot of interest and love in those people. Proves that kids and the faith of kids can make a big difference. It's true for Mark in that story. It's true of Charlie. And it's true of this little Israelite girl in our story. So we're going to march through this story just piece by piece. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to start with verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. And we're going to just pause right there. So Naaman is the commander of the Aramean army. In those days, that wasn't a position you were elected to. It was a position you were appointed to by the king. What kind of person would a king want to put in charge of all of his strongest soldiers? Someone very loyal to the king who wouldn't, behind his back, elect a different king maybe. Someone who was very strong, very respected, like the best soldier out there that all the other soldiers would respect, that was Naaman. 
Naaman was a valiant soldier, our text says. One of the best of his day. In other words, Naaman was a tough guy. What does a tough guy look like? What one of you boys can come stand in the aisle, give me your best tough guy pose? Sam's looking like, no, don't pick me. Anybody want to kind of give me a tough guy pose? Yeah? Or maybe right where you are, you've got to show your muscles a little bit. Look really mean. Don't look very friendly. That's a tough guy, right? Naaman was the tough guy of the tough guys. And the Arameans were neighbors of the Israelites. They had a peace treaty together, but they were still kind of fighting over the border between the two countries. So I have a map that I want to show you. Um, The map, you can see that little orange circle that I drew on there. That shows you that's the territory we're talking about in the story. There was kind of a dispute where exactly that border was. The Arameans said that land is ours, and the Israelites said, no, it's ours, and they kind of were fighting about it. Kind of like when you're in the back seat with your brothers and sisters, and they're kind of bugging you, and so you draw a line. And you say, you will not cross that line or else. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. And when your brother or sister says that, what do you do? You kind of creep to that line a little bit. What's going to happen if I put my hand just across that line? Just a little. And what happens? You get a reaction usually. Yeah, I played that game when I was your age too doesn't usually go very well. But that's sort of an adult version of what was happening between these two countries. They were kind of fighting over the line. And they said, you stay on your side, we'll stay on our side, but no one really did so. Naaman led the charge. He was the head honcho of the Aramean army. But beyond being the head of the army, the tough guy, the valiant warrior, There's one other thing we know about Naaman from this text. It's the last part of verse 1. Just one phrase. But he had leprosy. Naaman had leprosy. Have you ever seen anybody with leprosy? That's a pretty rare disease in our country Because there's a cure for it, so most people don't get it in our country, but some poor countries, the people still get it. When I was in Africa in the late 80s, I saw a few people who had it. It starts on your hands and feet. It's kind of white and scaly or sometimes bumpy. I've got a picture I can show you of what it looks like. And it's really a nasty disease because what happens is you lose feeling in your toes and in your fingers and then you touch something or hurt them and you don't know it and then they get diseased and and eventually you show me the next picture your toes and fingers start to fall off it's a horrible disease and in those days there was no cure and that's what Naaman had Naaman as tough as he was as important as he was The text says, but Naaman had leprosy. And that was the end of his life. End of his career. And it proves to us that no matter how big or strong you are, everyone gets sick. Everyone gets sick. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. doesn't, Doesn't matter if you're super rich or super poor. 
Everybody gets sick. Pastors get sick. I'm kind of getting over the, a, a cold right now. Sometimes that happens. Everybody gets sick. Your moms and dads get sick. And sickness isn't because God is punishing us because of some bad thing we've done. That's not how God works. Sickness that happens because we live in a world that's broken because of sin. And sickness is one of the things we have to deal with. And it affects everybody. Well, after the Bible introduces us to Naaman and his leprosy, it introduces us to another person, a little Israelite girl. And this is in verse 2. Let's read verse 2 out loud together. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So we're not told this little girl's name. But I think it's hard to talk about somebody if they don't have a name. So we're going to give this little girl a name. We're going to call her Salome. Salome maybe wasn't her name, but it's a good Israelite name for a a, a girl. So we're going to call this girl Salome. Salome lived in a little town right on that border region. And every once in a while, some Aramean men would come into her village and they would steal things. Maybe at night they would come in, they would steal some food, steal some crops from the field while the Israelites weren't looking. And every once in a while, they would come and steal people. And that's what happened to Salome. She was probably out one day just playing with her friends, a little on the outskirts of the village. And all of a sudden, some men with horses came into town And they reached down and grabbed her and pulled her up onto their horse and off they went with her. And she was kidnapped. She was kidnapped. Salome was kidnapped. And she was given the job. She was a slave now, so she worked for no pay for Naaman's family. Probably for Naaman's wife. So she was the girl who had to do all the jobs in the house that nobody wanted to do. So they used pots like toilets in those days. She had to empty out the toilet pots. She had to wash all the dishes. She had to mop the floor. She had to clean up the animal poop from the animal pens because nobody wanted that job. All the awful, dirty jobs, that's what she was forced to do. For no money. Must have been a terrible thing for her. And sometimes that kind of thing still happens in our world today. Child trafficking, it's called, where kids are taken and then trafficked, brought to another place for terrible things. It's really an evil, evil thing. Thankfully, our area seems to be pretty safe. But imagine how that might have affected Salome. Imagine how lonely she must have felt. She can't be by her mom and dad. She can't be by her brothers and sisters. She can't be by her friends. She's in this new family. They don't really love her. They make her do all the terrible chores. Imagine how angry and frustrated she must have felt inside about having this happen to her. Why me? Why me, God? Why am I the one taken? Why do I have to serve these people and do all this stuff for them? It was a tough life. It was like being Cinderella, only there was no prince to marry. You just stayed the servant with the wicked stepsisters your whole life long. That was Salome's life. 
But then the story gets interesting in verse 3. Something very unexpected happens. Let's read out loud together what Salome says to Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Salome tried to help her master. You didn't see that one coming, did you? I thought she was angry. I thought she was mad. I thought she was lonely. I thought she was really upset. But instead of of being that way, she sees that Naaman has a sickness. She knows there's a prophet where she comes from who can help. And she says to her mistress, you should send your husband to go see that prophet. He could help her. That's a very kind thing to do for Salome. Very kind. Rather than hating Naaman and hoping he would die, she shows him love and kindness. Salome's doing what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Romans 12. Rather than overcoming evil with evil, in other words, paying people back the way they get you, she overcomes evil with good. Evil was done to her, but she does good back. That's a really hard thing to do. Only with God's help can we do that. And God helped Salome to do that. Naaman suddenly had an option. He didn't know about this option before. He thought, it's a death sentence. I've got leprosy. My career is over. I'll have to be isolated from everybody. My life will end soon. But now all of a sudden, there's this little glimmer of hope. Maybe... Just maybe there is a prophet across that border into that other country over there who could help me. And as you know, if if you've known people like I have who've had terminal illnesses, diseases that will kill you, they will do anything if they think there's a cure. They will go any distance. They will spend any amount of money. If there's ever the hope that they could be cured, they'll do anything. So this is what Naaman sets out to do. Only Naaman has a problem. He's the head of the Aramean army. And he has to cross into Israel to get help. That's not going to be an easy thing to do. Sort of like a Russian general who gets sick saying, oh, I need to cross over into Ukraine to see a doctor over there because he's good at treating the disease I have. Good luck, fella. A Russian general crossing into Ukraine when you're at war, nobody's going to let you cross. And no one's going to want to help you. You're the enemy. That's sort of the situation Naaman's in. So let's read what happens with this. Verses 4 through 7. Naaman went to his master, the king of Aram, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. They had a peace treaty. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. That's a lot of wealth. And probably a lot of soldiers all fitted out with their gear to protect all that wealth. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? So we have Salome, this little girl, kidnapped, forced to be a slave. And we've got the king of Israel, King Joram was his name. Which of those characters do you think had more faith in God? If you think Salome had more faith in God, raise your hand. If you think the king of Israel had more faith in God, raise your hand. Yeah, you're right. Salome had more faith than the king. That's a problem. Salome had more faith than the king. When little girls have more faith in God than the leader of their country, friends, that's a problem. That's a problem. Leaders of countries are supposed to be the most faith-filled. Are supposed to love God and help people walk in God's ways so that they're a blessing to everyone. But that isn't always the case. It's not the case in our world either. Well, let's go back to our text in 2 Kings 5. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the men come to me, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So I suspect Naaman is all excited at this point. The king directed him to where to go. He's standing at the home of this great faith healer prophet. And he probably thinks, I bet this little prophet man in Israel is kind of impressed that I'm here. With all my horses and chariots, with all of my wealth and regalia, I bet he's never healed someone like me before. I'm a very important person. Elisha wasn't terribly impressed. Look at what happens next. Not what Naaman expected. Verses 10 through 12. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. That prophet, he didn't even come to the door. He sends his servant to the door to say, go wash in the dirty river over there and it'll all get better. That's an insult. How treating me like that? I'm not going to do what he says. And it seems like the story's over, and it would be, except Naaman's servants were a little more humble, a little more reasonable, a little more rational maybe than Naaman was at that moment. And so verses 13 through 15 is the end of the story. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, 
if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So, he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. That's the end. That's a cool end of the story. <clears throat> so Naaman found he had to trust and obey. He had to trust and obey. That's not easy to do. Trust and obey a stranger. Do something that doesn't seem to make any sense. Trusting other people can be a little scary. Especially if you don't know them. How do you know they're telling you what to do is going to work? Why should you listen to them? They have no credibility. You don't know them. Well, sometimes it takes a little faith to trust and obey. So Naaman had to humble himself, had to trust Elisha, this prophet, even though Elisha told him to do something that seemed very ridiculous. Why wash in the Jordan River? That's not going to change anything. Well, maybe it will. Maybe God is going to heal you by doing what I tell you to do. And that's exactly what happened. So, friends, we have to learn like Naaman had to learn. Sometimes it's important that we learn to trust and obey what God tells us. God speaks to us directly. Sometimes we read something in the Bible. We hear it from a preacher on Sunday. Or sometimes there's that just that still small voice in our head where God is saying, don't do that. Do that. And we've got to listen. Because it's when we trust and obey God, when we trust and obey Jesus, that's when good things happen. When Mark trusted and obeyed God, that whole family came to faith in Jesus. That's amazing. When Salome trusted in God and gave that advice to her master and he trusted and did what the prophet told him to do, he was healed. He had a miracle happen. And greater than that, he came to know there is no God except the God of Israel. That's the most important lesson of all. And who knows that when people like Charlie share with a little girl named Ava on the bus, or when you trust and obey what God tells you to say or do, that he's not behind the scenes orchestrating something amazing that's going to happen. Because that's who God is. Who does he want to reach through you? Who does he want to come to the conclusion, there is a God, and it's me, God says. And he needs your help. We've got to trust and obey to get there. Let's pray. Lord, what a marvelous story this is. And what a, an amazing truth we discover here that You can use people 
little children with just a little bit of faith who do exactly what you tell them to do. And there's amazing results. Thank you that you do use boys and girls. Thank you that you use Charlie in her relationship with Ava on the bus. We continue to pray for her and lots of people like her who don't know you that somehow through some person who does know you like us today, they may come to know who you are. Because knowing who you are, God, is the ball game. It's, it's what life is all about. So help us to be used by you to say what we need to say, to do what we need to do, to show acts of love and kindness so that we can get people's attention and that they can come to know you as well. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.